Welcome back to another Narrative Watch video from Masari. All right, guys, uh, it is Monday, September 30th. Uh, back as always, as every Monday, with a Narrative Watch. So Narrative Watch is basically a series where I look at some emerging sentiment shift, right? Some uh, kind of shared shared sensibility that's, that's on the rise. And um, this week, we're looking at uh, something which I think is a, a more an observation about the, um, uh, you know, a change in disposition or a refining in disposition of the Bitcoin community and the larger crypto community that I think was shown off last week. And so we're going to talk about time preference a little bit. So uh, just by way of introducing this concept of time preference, uh, it's a tweet from just yesterday. So American Hodel says, this is what low time preference looks like. Trace, he's referring to Trace Mayer, is a billionaire and he buys his shoes in the clearance bin at Payless. He's actually kind of making a joke about a... Uh, a, a photo that went up um, from Trace uh, where he's in a in a photo with uh, Pomp and Caitlin Long in Wyoming and he has kind of just very basic uh, black like trainer sneaker style shoes right and so uh, so Trace says Bitcoin brutally teaches lessons on time preference and opportunity cost my beautiful shoes cost 100 plus remember the poem during the Great Depression use it up wear it out make it do or do without and uh, and he has a whole graphic so uh, the idea of time preference is it has has to do with the current or future value of uh, of goods, right? Like what value you place on receiving a good now versus receiving it later. And so the idea of uh, high time preference, it's just from the Wikipedia because it's a, a useful uh, heuristic. Um, someone with high time preference is focused substantially on their well-being in the present and the immediate future relative to the average person, while someone with low time preference places more efforts emphasis than average on their well-being in the further future. So uh, this concept of time preference is not unique to crypto, right? Uh, it's a part of economics. Um, it's particularly a part of like Austrian school economics, uh, where there's a real emphasis on low time preference, not just kind of from an individual consumption standpoint, but from a uh, long-term where the value to society standpoint is, right? Like in a lot of ways, um, the, the central nub of what the Austrian economic school kind of disagrees with the way that the economy has been structured is everything in the kind of mainstream economy, according to that line of thought, is about um, consumption, 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 right? Immediate consumption, immediate gratification, whereas uh, basically delays, saving, um, investment in the future, that's kind of where they want to be, uh, not only from the standpoint of the broader economy, but also from an individual standpoint. So not really here to litigate that uh, at, at all. But the the interesting thing, I think, has to do with the way that it's played out in the context of the Bitcoin and crypto community. So, uh, you know, books like Safetyn's uh, Bitcoin Standard obviously spent a lot of time on this idea of time preference. Um, and it's a it's a big part of a particularly a lot of how Bitcoiners think about the world, uh, trying to kind of optimize for low time preference versus high time preference. And how part of how that's manifest is obviously this the, the HODL ideology, right, where uh, you are not about kind of short-term trades and short-term price fluctuations. You're about those long-term uh, long development of an asset which you believe has fundamental value because it is uh, you know, a digital gold, because it is uh, a counterweight to money printing, because of whatever millions of reasons uh, there might be for being really interested in, uh, in the future of an asset like Bitcoin, that's where you're focused. Um, and so <clears throat> the, the interesting question is how much this actually 
is uh, you know what what this fights against within the larger crypto community for um, from an action standpoint, right? So uh, if someone kind of professes low time preference but then gets stressed out about short term price fluctuations, there's sort of a uh, a contrast, right? If someone is all about the short term volatility and making trade, that's not really like a, a low time preference type of activity that's focusing on the future. Um, and that's not to say that there's a, a it's completely incompatible to be a trader who takes advantage of short term movement, uh, but to generally be a person who has uh, kind of a low time preference, long term uh, point of view. But um, the point of all this is that this really shakes out, and uh, and it's and in in the times that the market is not going well, right? It's really easy to be low time preference when there's a slow gradual ascension of the asset that you're interested in. Uh, it's hard. It's not hard to just keep holding because the price keeps going up. It's much harder to be low time preference when things are going really badly, right? And so what happened last week? Well, obviously, uh, if you're watching this, you know, you don't need me to re-explain that there was uh, a massive downward movement in the price. Uh, on Tuesday, I think it started, it went um, basically down like 20%, right? From just above 10,000 to just below uh, 8,000. It has been kind of hovering around that 8,000 range uh, all, <clears throat> all week, basically, and all weekend. And so uh, there were tons of assessments, obviously, about what it was about, right? So this uh, it made the independent article, and uh, and some an, an analyst said pessimism over the level of activity on backed sparked this most recent sell-off. However, it was the liquidation of 600 million worth of long positions on platforms like BitMEX that caused the price to dramatically slump by over a thousand dollars in a 30-minute period. Uh, that's Maybe true. I mean, it's this is a, a, a smart analyst, Simon Peters from eToro, but it's uh, kind of I think claiming that you know exactly is maybe uh, maybe not exactly the the right position to take, uh, given the the just the lack of the opacity of these markets. Let's say right. So uh, so anyway, so this crash happened. A uh, huge amount of value was gone really really quickly, and so I jokingly wrote this tweet that Twitter stages of a dump, right? And so number one was basically the holy crap news tweets. Uh, Number two was schadenfreude from haters, right? Though you got to see those haters coming back in. Number three was the volatility memes. Number four was the hodl memes, right? Getting people to, to steal their resolve. Number five would be the TA explanations, right? The descending triangles that caused this. Number six would be the macro explanations. It's, uh, you know, a, a larger fear about this thing or that thing, right? Uh, number seven was the more hodl memes or maybe buy the dip memes, right? Where people uh, still really figure it out. And number eight was reset to new normal, right? Where, okay, I guess eight thousand is the new normal, right? That's where we hover around. Um, and then nine crazy rip up and 10 is repeat. So uh, I was kind of joking about this. Uh, you know, it was a little tongue in cheek. But then, of course, at least, you know, the first one certainly happened. Everyone was like, holy crap. The second one started to happen. So you had Peter Schiff getting in on the game uh, from the, the schadenfreude game. Bitcoin has finally broken below the support line of the large descending triangle it has been carving out for months. Hey, look, he uh, grabbed a little bit of that TA explanation, too. This is a very bearish technical pattern, and it confirms that a major top has been established. The risk for a high risk is high for a rapid descent down to 4,000 or lower. Uh, Noriel popped back in as well. He hasn't been around for a minute. Uh, Bitcoin and shitcoins crash continues. BTC down over 20% this week. Um, so you saw all these things, right? And uh, and then you started to see something different, which is um, you know kind of on the 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 steal your resolves, right? Uh, important message as we enter the next bull market. This is from Pomp. BTC is very volatile. You can lose all your money. Only invest what is okay to lose. Twitter is not investment advice. Don't buy BTC with credit cards. Keep low time preference. Do your own research. So this is all within like a matter of uh, of you know hours, whatever minutes uh, or minutes or hours after this huge price action happened. 
and a really interesting thing happened. And now we kind of are moving into the realm of just my observation. So you might have observed something totally different. It could be my filter bubble, bubble and uh, I acknowledge that. However, um, there was a shocking, and I mean shocking, lack of stress about this relatively significant price shift, right? Uh, you didn't see... You know, you would have anticipated, I think, much more uh, frustration, nervousness, uh, just general kind of um, insecurity around uh, the lack of a clear explanation. And I just don't believe that you saw that, right? So if you actually jump over to uh, Long Read Sunday, the my you know every week curated uh, session. Uh, a huge amount of it, like in fact, most of it was not actually about price last week. You saw a huge amount about uh, Libra and about just the rise of government digital currencies. I mean, even on Squawk Box, when they had Pomp on, he was talking about tokenizing the US dollar and kind of the, the global battle for uh, for digital currency supremacy. Um, you had uh, the IMF talking about synthetic currencies. You had a ton of people talking about surveillance problems, right? So Niraj is talking about surveillance in the context of the central bank digital currencies. But then we were also talking about speculation in the context of, uh, or we were talking about the um, this worrisome development that it seems like the UK authorities will be able to, uh, will be forced Facebook and WhatsApp to turn over messages. Uh, you had people who were fighting a potential ban from the Financial Conduct Authority in the, in the UK. Um, you had just all these interesting things. You had uh, new companies launching, right? So all of these things were going on. And honestly, it wasn't even like we had multiple day cycles of headlines around the price news. It was really just that first day. It happened. It stayed right at that level. And uh, and people moved on with their lives. And I think that that's fascinating. And so the question is why? Uh, and why not not why the, the price crashed. That's actually incidental to what I'm talking about today. But why were people just so less stressed than it seemed like? Uh, and so a couple of potential answers on that. Um, one, uh, it could just be the fundamentals, right? So uh, Hans from over at Ike Guys uh, did this great thread that which went viral, basically about the fundamentals. So he says, apparently some people are worried about Bitcoin. I don't know if I can help, but let's look at some data. Here's a chart of the 365 day moving average of the number of transactions on the Bitcoin network. Looks like we're at an all time high. He then goes on to miners. Okay, let's check the hash rate. Maybe the miners quit mining or something. Nope, actually that's at an all time high as well. Then he goes on to the inflation rate. What about the inflation rate? Did we suddenly increase the supply? Hmm, right on schedule and falling in log scale over time as expected. Uh, and then he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. He talks about the larger macro economy. He talks about the pull requests, uh, you know, and sort of the, the idea of developer activity. Uh, so he says, I don't know what to tell you guys. From a fundamental perspective, Bitcoin looks great. I guess it's back to hodling, right? So, okay, so one possibility for why people weren't stressed out is that this is all familiar to people uh, and that this movement simply didn't feel, uh, you know, particularly... Um, particularly, uh, you know, uh, causal or, or reflective of larger forces, right? It just was a price shift. And uh, maybe it was backed, maybe it was something else, but it didn't fundamentally undermine any of these these core uh, attributes of the thing that they believed in, right? So uh, that might have been part of it. Um, Suzu, I think, actually had a, a really interesting uh, uh, point here. He says, have thus far refer refrained from joining the last time club on crypto Twitter 
later since we broke 10K. But this dip feels to me like the fuel we need to flush out over leveraged longs, punish the shit coins, and target much higher levels from here. So basically, he's saying that this is actually an important correction, that uh, it's it's a healthy market movement uh, because it, it kind of is going to get some amount of that um, high time preference activity out of the market. That's a different way to kind of put it, right? Uh, and really focus on those folks who are in it for the long term. Um, and there was a little bit of uh, this type of chatter that I thought reflected that as well. So you had Ben DiFrancesco over here saying, I don't own very much crypto, much less than you'd best guess basically on my enthusiasm. I actually only invest what I can afford to lose. This isn't a good bet. This isn't good advice just because you avoid risk of ruin. It also gives you strong hands. Market is tanking. Who cares? I can hodl in peace. Uh, and that I think I saw a lot of people who are saying similar things. Um, Dudas from the block said something similar, right? Bitcoin is sincerely the only significant investment I've ever made that I've never doubted. I watched the price gyrate up and down, inevitably bottoming ever, ever higher. And I smile with the satisfaction of knowing I'll be even happier in five years, 10 years when I retire. So the the point here is just that, you know, it's one small, you know, or relatively significant, but overall in the scale of things, small price movement. Uh, it is still, you know, it's a correction down from, uh, you know, the 2.75x the yearly lows that we were, you know, when it was around 10k to uh, just 2x. We're up 2x on the year from, you know, 4k type of bottoms. Um, so maybe it's just simply that uh, people are still feeling relatively good about how 2019 has gone for Bitcoin in general. Um, but it does feel to me like it, it may be actually something more, which is that over the course of the uh, of kind of last year's bear market. Um, that obviously flushed a huge amount of folks out of the industry, right? And we've seen that. We've seen lots of people who have left, who have gone on to different spaces, gone on to whatever. Uh, this year, when we went, when we had that price rip up, you know, from three and a half, four thousand, all the way up to almost fourteen, and then back down to ten, where it held for a while. Um, it feels like that didn't necessarily reflect a huge amount of new people coming into the market. Uh, who are going to be shook the first time things went down. Um, you know, it's been, I feel like, more substantive. And the people who have come into the market have come in, I, I think, by and large, for more ideological reasons. Like we saw uh, Daily Dirt Nap come into the market uh, a few weeks ago, Jared Dillon, uh, Dillian, uh, who basically said that, uh, you know, radical political shifts were driving him to Bitcoin. He wasn't a Bitcoiner before, now he is. We've seen people like Raul Paul and Dan Tapiero come into the market uh, because they think it's a uh, it's a generational hedge, effectively. Um, and uh, and he, Dan even was back uh, tweeting about the reason to hodl Bitcoin uh, yesterday. So uh, the, the point of all of this is to say that to me, it feels like there's been some amount of uh, time preference transformation. And maybe it's not a time preference transformation among individual market participants, but maybe it's just that the market participants who are involved right now, who are kind of the loudest, the most vocal, who set some amount of the sentiment and tone in the Bitcoin and larger crypto space, um, simply aren't phased by this type of short-term price action. Uh, I think if that's the case, it's a really, really positive thing for the industry. And that's, I guess, the point that I want to leave on. Um, you know, last week, the most interesting thing to happen wasn't the price movement. It was, in fact, things like uh, the SEC testifying before Congress about Libra and about cryptocurrencies. It was things like uh, the European Central Bank saying that Libra was a starting gun. It was these questions for uh, uh, around privacy and surveillance as it relates to WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. 
Messenger, right? It was these fundamental things about the shifting structure of society and the role of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies to address problems that are either with us or are coming fast. Uh, so I am all for this time preference transformation. Um, I love seeing this uh, this shift away from kind of wild, uh, you know, volatility reflected on crypto Twitter and on Bitcoin Twitter. Um, I just think it's a it's a really positive thing. So I wanted to observe it on Narrative Watch, uh, and uh, and yeah, that's going to be that for today. Um, three at three back as usual tomorrow. It looks pretty clear that we might be talking about the. Uh, crypto ratings uh, consortium or whatever it is uh, from Coinbase and all these other exchanges who are giving a one to five score on decentralization. Uh, but for now, guys, appreciate you watching. Appreciate you listening. Uh, thanks to Masari for hosting this and for distributing it. And I will see you tomorrow. Peace all.